We're entering into our third week of this vision uh, series that we're on, Gospel Roots. It's a study of our vision and values. And let me just say, incidentally, if you're visiting with us today, this isn't something that just is valuable to us as our as a church. It's something we've called out as a core value to who we are and what we're about. But these values, they're, they're central to who we are as Christians. And so even if you're visiting with us today, this is something I hope that that will be a blessing to you, that will challenge you to just value and treasure the love of Jesus, the, the love of our Father in heaven. So before we get into it, but we're going to be in 1 John 3. You can go ahead and flip there in your Bibles if you want to. Uh, but before we get into it, let me share with you the words to a song um, that, that I thought of as I was preparing this sermon that, that I feel like kind of kind of will help us understand why, why we so desperately need to value the love of Christ. It starts like this. I believe the children are our future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. Show them all the beauty they possess inside. Let the children's, or give them a sense of pride to make it easier. Let the children's laughter remind us how we used to be. Do you know that song? Recognize it? Who sings it? Whitney Houston. That's right. That's why I'm not, because you would never, it would be bad. But it's a Whitney Houston song. That's, that, that, that in and of itself begins to give us a sense of what the song is about. But let me, let me share with you the chorus. Let me share with you where I think we really get into trouble with this song. It goes on, I decided long ago never to walk in anyone's shadow. If I fail, if I succeed, at least I'll live as I believe. No matter what they take from me, they can't take away my dignity because the greatest love of all is happening to me. Now that right there, that brings me and that draws me and that makes me want to just belt that song out, right? The greatest love of all is happening to me. I found the greatest love of all inside of me. Really. The greatest love of all is easy to achieve. Learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. These are the words of a song popularized by Whitney Houston. She wasn't the first person to sing it. It actually came out in the 70s, but she did sing it, and it became a hit all the way back in 1986 almost 30 years ago and that you know this was a song that I was singing in high school and so this was like a it's shocking to me that's almost 30 years ago where did the time go but it went on to be one of her most most popular hits it was one of the most popular songs of her entire career after she died in 2012 that and two other of her songs hit the top 100 this one was at like uh, number 41 it's sold over two and a half million copies worldwide, and the video on YouTube has been seen by over 18.5 million people. This, this song is even popular today. People, people still hear it. They still think of it. They, they have this idea, and, and this song, or at least the theme of it, is still being woven through and permeating our culture. Man, I'm going to say this now. I, I was, I'll say it later too, but I think that's dangerous. I know it's still happening. I know it's still permeating and being woven into our culture because you hear it in our songs, you hear it in our stories. Anyone who has a voice to, to give influence, they are bringing this idea, they are bringing this theme with them. And, and they're just saying it with different words. Saying things like, well, you're beautiful to me just the way you are. Man, doesn't that make you feel good? Just the way you are. You're beautiful. 
or pretty, pretty please, don't you ever, ever feel like you're anything less than perfect. Just in case you didn't get it, those are current songs. Yeah, I'm still, I'm still in the know. I know what's going on. But, but that idea of self-love and finding our self-worth and our self-value by this power of positive thinking, by just denying and ignoring the fact that there are negative emotions within us. Oh, just feel good about yourself. I love you just the way you are. You're perfect to me. There's nothing wrong with you. Well, why do I feel so bad? Why is there this emptiness within me? Why is there this this issue within me that I just can't seem to shake? And maybe I can act like it when people are looking. Maybe I can deny it when somebody's talking to me. Maybe when there's noise around me, it's okay and I can I can positively think about myself. But when it's quiet, when in the midst of the night, when I'm all alone and no one is there, there's this problem. You see, I don't want you to think that I've got a problem or I'm trying to hate on these people for their, for their push for positive self-images. I, I, I appreciate it. I, I really do. But I think it is a catastrophic, I, I think it is a monumental mistake to start with this idea that you can just feel it away. That you can just suddenly solve all your problems just by simply feeling good about yourself, by loving yourself, by denying and lying to yourself that there are real issues within you. I think that, that, that our world, it has this idea that, that, oh, you just feel good about yourself. Just learn to accept yourself just like you are and everything will be okay. That is a joke. It's laughable. No, it's not. It's pitiful. It's pitiful. Let me tell you what I think works. Maybe I'll, as I say, I'll let you know the difference of how I think these two work against each other. Loving yourself, loving others for that matter, loving yourself does not start by denying the negative emotions that reside within you. It starts by valuing the love that Christ has demonstrated for you. There's a drastic difference. It is a completely different starting point. One is empty, powerless, lifeless, and one is full of hope, power, and 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 uh, and, and, and transformational. It's proven. It changes us. It's this love of Christ. As we talk about in our core values, as, as I challenge you today to value love, I want to challenge you to value this love of Jesus Christ. We, we are going to be studying from 1 John chapter 3. Why don't you just read with me? We're going to start in verse 11, and we'll read through verse 18. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now let me stop there and just explain that to you. He's talking about not a message that from the from the foundation or creation of the world. He's talking about from the beginning of the gospel, from the first time you heard the gospel, from the first time you heard of Jesus' death on your behalf, from the first time you believed and trusted that in his resurrection you could have life, from the first time you heard that, you have been being given a command. He's, that's just what John's telling them. You've been being given a command to love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? 
because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Here's a good definition for your love. If you ever wonder what good, godly love is, this is it. By this we know love. He laid down his life for us. He being Jesus died for us. He came and worked the gospel out for us. He came, died in our place for our sin, did what we cannot do. That is how we know love. If your definition of love starts with something other than Jesus dying, then you have got a a, a misunderstanding of what love is. And now we have the truth. This is how we know love. He laid down his life for us. And we ought also lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Let us not love with words alone, but like our Savior, in deed and in truth. Now, it's true. It is true that in our culture, in our language, in the English language, we use the word love to describe emotional attachment, emotional concern. I can walk up to you and say, I love you. And I could fully mean it because you matter to me. You're important to me. If I've never met you, that might feel a little weird, right? Well, what if I walked up to you and you're visiting today and the first time I ever met you and the first time I, maybe I don't even know your name yet. And I say, you know what? I love you. It's going to feel a little bit awkward. That's a lot of pressure. Well, I could just be saying it. We see people say it all the time on The Voice. Adam Levine sits in, his, sits in his chair, and as the crowd shouts and screams, he says, I love you, I love you. He just says it. It's just this word. In the English language, we have made love more about emotion and relationship and, and maybe in increasing fashion more about romance and sex than what the Bible would, would call us to look at as love. I mean, you listen today. Listen today, Google it. I, I had to because I wasn't sure, but I wanted to know. Google it. Go out and Google love songs, 2014. The vast majority of them have to do with people getting in bed together than actually loving one another. That's what our culture, that's what we have come to think of as love, a sexual relationship. I know that's true. But that is not what the Bible calls us to. That's not what the Bible shows us. That's not the love that we should be valuing and treasuring at the depths of who we are that then becomes the foundation of all that we do. The love that is demonstrated, that is highlighted in this passage is what Jesus did. He came. I mean, He left heaven. You think about this. He left heaven. Have you ever considered what it is to leave heaven, to leave this relationship that you've had for all eternity, to step out of it, to come down and put on flesh, to take on a whole new nature? He was spirit before. He stepped into time. Have you ever considered that? He came not to serve, but to serve. He came not to be served, but to serve. Have you ever considered that? The God who said, let there be light and light shone. 
that God who, who to Job, when Job was, was like, why God, why me? Why did this have to happen? God shows up and he says, Job, let me tell you something. And Job is like scared to death. He says, I don't know what I was thinking. And he tells him, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? That God who says, I'm there for the, for the, for the deer, for the whale, for the, I'm there holding it all together. That God, the God that, that all creation screams of, that brings triumph and, 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 and praise to. That God chose to serve instead of be served. It's pretty profound. The God who condescended to teach sinful man the truth. Hey, think about it. Everything he said, we didn't deserve to hear. And yet, not only did he come and teach us, he made sure it was written down that today generations could still be hearing it. He ensured that we could have his truth. He came, he served, he taught, he led. He got involved in people's lives. Intimately involved. He walked with them and he led them and he said, come and follow me. That God did these things. And that same God allowed people to take him and nail him to the cross and crucify him. He died doing for us what we couldn't do. Let me, let, let me tell you why we value the gospel. First and foremost, we value the gospel because that, or I'm sorry, why we value love. We value Jesus' love because it is the why behind the gospel. Now, I've probably confused you. Let me clarify that point. We value Jesus' love because it is the why behind the gospel. We do value the gospel. You can listen to that sermon from two weeks ago online. But we also value his love deeply because it is the reason the gospel exists. It's all through this passage. Why did Jesus come and do what he did? What was this about? Why do we love one another now the way Jesus loved us? Why does this matter? Why don't we act like Cain? Because he loved us. And how do we know he loved us? Because he died for us. Because he came here and did what he did. It's the why behind it. It's the thing that matters. Listen, real love motivates sacrificial action in the best interest of another person. Real love motivates sacrificial action in the best interest of another person. You see that in Jesus' action? You see that in His work? When someone says they love you, they might mean they have an emotional connection to you. But listen, I can walk up to you. If you're sitting in this room, I can walk up to you and tell you I love you. And you want to know how you'll know I love you? Because I didn't just stand up and make this up off the spot. I spent the last week preparing and getting ready to speak to you about what Jesus has done for you. To challenge you to set aside the world's view of love and to take hold of and value the love that God has demonstrated and shown us. If anyone comes to you and says that they love you, but you can't see it repeated in their actions or demonstrated in their actions, that's not the love that I'm calling you to value. I don't think it's a bad love. I'm not certain that it's, a, it's, it's, it's bad. I'm not certain that you should just ignore it. I'm just saying if someone really loves you, you will see it. We shouldn't have to be walking around telling one another we love one another all the time. I'm not saying you should never say it. I'm just saying you shouldn't have to. It should be obvious to the people you love by what you do. 
It should be obvious. If a person tells you they love you, but you can't see it in their actions, then they have a love that's word, not deed. I mean, if a guy tells his girlfriend that he loves her and then does everything he can to sleep with her before they're married, he's not loving her. That's not love. That's selfishness. It's about getting what he wants. That's about fulfilling in his desires. If he loved her, he would grab hold of himself. He would take control of his lustful desires. He would take control of that part that's in him that desires her sexually. And he'd say, that's not in her best interest. I love her, so I'm not going to sleep with her. I love her, so I'm going to protect her, her, her uh, image in our, in our society. I'm going to lift her up. I'm going to show her to be valuable. I love her. A parent that says that they love their child, but then neglects them and never does anything for them, doesn't teach them, doesn't protect them, doesn't provide for them. That's not love. But it doesn't just have to go the way of neglect. This kind of love can be can be undone by parents who idolize their children, who lift them up, who make all of life revolve around them, who who only ever get the, give them what they want, but never give them what they need. You see, when you make your your, your when, when you make your child's life all about your child, you are not helping your child. You are not loving your child. Maybe the greatest thing a parent can do for their child to demonstrate love is to help them see their sin and help them understand that they need a savior. Maybe the most loving thing a parent can do is tell their child no. You don't need that. So I'm not going to give it to you. Yeah, you want it. We all want things. Well, I can't tell you what what my parents used to tell me wouldn't be right. Or at least the message that I felt sometimes. But the reality is is that sometimes sometimes we we, we, we say we love our children by idolizing them and putting them at the center of our life and we are doing them damage. You're doing them harm. To love your child, yeah, there'll be times when you give them the things that they want, that you'll lavish them with gifts. To love your child, there'll be times when you tell them that they are in sin and need a Savior. To love your child is to prepare your child to see God. That's how we love our children. It's both and. It's, it's not neglect and it's not overdoing. It's, it's walking in the midst of the gospel and making sure that they hear and know the gospel. A spouse that says he loves his uh, wife, a, a husband that says he loves his wife and then cheats and leaves is not loving his wife. That is not love. I sat in the midst of a, uh, some, some marital counseling. And this person, this, this, this wife, this woman... I don't know that she was cheating. There was never any demonstration of infidelity. She just was struggling in her marriage. And her and her husband had decided that they would do some counseling and they walked together through some of this. And before we were finished, we came to this meeting. That was the last meeting that we had. And we're, we're walking through and talking about the things that we had been discussing for several weeks. And she just stops and she tells us, I'm done. I'm leaving There's no sense in wasting any more time on this. I'm finished. 
then she was going to move to Arizona. I think the husband had some inclination of this. I think he knew that she was being resistant to, to really working it out. But you could tell this is the first time he actually had heard it. He broke in two. I mean, he was sobbing uncontrollably. He was just upset. She looks at him. She scoots her chair over by him and begins to rub his back and say, Honey, I'm, I'm sorry. I really do love you. But I've, I've got to leave. Well, I got a little frustrated at that because I know the difference between loving in word and talk and loving in deed and in truth. And as calmly as I could, I told her she was lying. I told her, quit lying to him. Quit telling him you love him. You're not helping him by saying that. It's just causing him further confusion. If she loves me, why is she leaving me? That's what he's thinking. If she really loves me, why is she leaving? I don't get it. She looked at me frustrated, obviously, because I was telling her something about herself she didn't like. You can't tell me how I feel. I said, no, I can't tell you how you feel, but I can tell you you're not loving him. And I refer to this passage. I said, I want, you to, I want you to look at this passage. I want you to tell me what love is. And I want you to tell me whether you're loving or hating in this moment. You see, what you're doing, and this is what, it's, this is what I told her, what you're doing is more like Cain bringing harm, being selfish and self-centered. Did you see how he did that? Why did Cain murder Abel? Because his brother's deeds were righteous and his were evil, and he got frustrated and jealous and selfish. Oh, yeah, God? You want a sacrifice? Here's your sacrifice. Here's the one you loved. Have him. In fact, and I didn't tell this in the first service, but I'll tell you, that's what you get for coming in the second one. You get a little more. The word that it talks about that that says Cain was the evil one and murdered his brother is the same word that talks about slaying and slaughtering a sacrifice. In many ways, what is happening, what, what, what John is telling us is that Cain killed his brother as if to sacrifice him. Almost as if it's an act of worship. He slit his throat. I've always pictured Cain beating him in in the head with a rock. I don't know why I thought that, but that, that word, the word that's used in translated murder talks about slaying a sacrifice before God. You want your sacrifice, God? Here he is. Have him. But it's not worship of God, is it? Selfish, jealous worship and love of self. That's what she was doing. That's what she was doing. And she had the gall, she had the nerve then to turn around and say she loved him. It's a lie. Quit lying. That is not love. The kind of love that we value, the kind of love that is to be treasured, the kind of love that John portrays for us here is an active and sacrificial love that acts in the best interest, not of self, but of another. And I'm not talking about good interest. I'm not talking about, oh, this might be good for them. I'm talking about taking their best interest, what's absolutely best for them, and being willing to lay out your life and die for the, for, for the other person to gain it. What do, what, what do they need? What's the absolute best for them? What is going to matter most? See, that's the kind of love. 
That's the kind of love that motivated a father to send his only son and a son to then die and do what we couldn't do. John 3.16 tells us, I think you're probably familiar with this verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Why did he give his only son? Because he loved the world. Why would he love us and why would he send him? Because that way whoever believes could have everlasting life. Romans 5.8 tells us, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the midst of our rebellion, when we didn't deserve it, we didn't earn it, we couldn't, we weren't even thinking about honoring him, we weren't thinking about walking in relationship with him, we weren't thinking about needing him. In the midst of our rebellion, he shows us love. He does what's absolutely best for us at great cost to Himself. Have you ever considered this? God suffered for you. He didn't need to suffer. He didn't have to suffer if He didn't want to. It grieved Him when His creation rebelled, but but He didn't have to suffer beyond that. He could have turned His back. He could have walked away. He could have been done. Could have closed the door on it all. That's not what he did. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. The most sacrificial, beneficial act in all of history is tied up in the gospel. God created everything in harmony. It was peaceful. It was beautiful. It was perfect. There was no sin. Mankind rebels. And in comes chaos. In comes destruction. In comes sickness and death. But God didn't leave us there. He had a plan and He sent His Son who did for us what we couldn't do. Jesus died. First He lived a perfect life. Then He died a sacrificial death. And then He rose in victory. And that's pretty good news. That's amazing news. But it gets better. You see, when He rose in victory, He didn't abandon us, but He went to prepare a place for us. And He told His followers, He said, you know what, I'm leaving, but I will be back. I think the best part of this whole story is yet to come because there's coming a day when Jesus will return. A day when he will come to us and he will look at us and he will, he, he will recognize our, our failures and our fallenness and our brokenness and our rebellion and he'll say, yeah, but, but, but I washed you clean. Come to be with me. And all of the death and destruction and disease and famine and, and just sore, all, all, all of the problems that come with sin will be displaced by the power of his presence that we will be able to enjoy forever and ever more. Man, that is an amazing story. That is the good news. And you know why He did that. You know why He's doing that. Because He loves you. Let me give you a song that, that you, know, you know, that Whitney Houston song, it may not be on your playlist, but let me give you a song that should be on your playlist. And, and, and you should never take it away. Jesus loves you. This I know. Put that one on every morning when you get out of bed. That's not just a kid's song. That's a you song. You need that song. Jesus loves you. This I know for the Bible tells me so. How do you know he loves you? He demonstrated it through his sacrificial action in your best interest. That's the love I value. That's the love I long for you to value. We value Jesus' love because it's transformational. It changes us. Look at this passage again. 
Now, it, it's, it's not just stated outright. It's not like John is saying, hey, now listen up. I want to call you to change. But that's exactly what he's doing. He starts off by first saying, hey, this is the message you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. That's a command that's been given. We've heard it over and over and over. You've know, you got to do it. He says we shouldn't be like Cain. We can't be like that anymore. We were like that, but that's not the way we're to be anymore. It calls us to change. In fact, the love of God, as it permeates us, and you see it demonstrated over and over, it actually transforms us. It changes us. You see, it's, it's, this, this kind of love, it's not, it's not loving this way that saves us. It's this kind of love that becomes the transformation in us. It becomes the evidence of our salvation. It, it, it becomes a demonstration of what God is doing. Real love, real love, it, it does not leave us as it finds us. It meets you where you are, but does not leave you there. Real love transforms our lives to reflect Jesus. It changes us to look more like Him. How are we supposed to love like Jesus loved? Why? Because that's what happens. That's the expectation. That's the reality of His work in us. But I hear it all the time. I see it all the time. Leaders affirming this idea of loving one another in such a way that we just tolerate and discredit a call to righteousness. You can't have one without the other. To truly love someone is to call them to be who Jesus expects them to be. To truly love someone is to expect them to pursue holiness and righteousness. To truly love someone is to confront people in their sin and say, it's sin, you need a Savior, now walk with me. As we strive to live like Him. I saw it just this week. A church here in town. I use that term church loosely for this group. But I, I saw it just this week, this, this church is starting a new service. They put it on Facebook and people that have been going are, uh, are, are celebrating this, this new service they're starting. And they're, they're celebrating because this is a service that's loving and open and affirming. And if you read about it, and I did, because I wanted to know before I, before I uh, made any decisions about it, I wanted to know about it. I read about it, and, and what it tells, what they mean by that is that you come here and we'll love you the way you love yourself. You see, however you've developed this self-love, this, this love of yourself, and however you've learned to accept yourself, we're going to love you that way, and we're not going to challenge you to go any further. You see how dangerous that is? We're not going to love you enough to challenge you with truth. We're not going to sacrifice our image or, or our, our relationship. We're not going to sacrifice anything to really love you enough to tell you the truth. We're just going to leave you alone and hope you feel comfortable and hope you love yourself enough to make everything okay. And truthfully, honestly, just so it, it's out here in the open and everybody understands this, open and affirming in that in that language, from a church is really a code word for the fact that we accept homosexual people and don't tell them what they're doing is sinful. The problem is, is sometimes the church is only ever telling homosexual people what they're doing is sinful. The reality is sexual immorality is, goes beyond homosexuality. Sexual immorality extends into marriages and single people who are sleeping around. That's sexually immoral. That's just as sinful. It shouldn't be, homosexuality shouldn't be singled out. If you're sleeping with your girlfriend, if you're sleeping with your boyfriend, you're in sin, you need a savior. 
I love you and I care enough about you. I love you enough to tell you that. If you're cheating on your wife or you're looking at porn, you're in in sin, you need a Savior. I love you enough to tell you that. But listen, I don't want you to think that we're about closing our doors and locking ourselves away. I want this church to be open and affirming too. Look at the front of your bulletin. I put this on here for a reason. I mean it. It's going to be on there every week. I want you to read it with me. I want you to, if you didn't get one, I want you to pick it up. And I want you to tell the person at the door, why didn't you give me this? I needed it. Welcome. Welcome to all who are weary and need rest. To all who mourn and need comfort. To all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares. To all who fail and need strength. To all who sin and need a Savior. To all who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Welcome. Come in. This church swings her doors wide. That you might come in and feel welcomed and be loved. You see, that's what I hope for this church. I hope that the guy that's addicted to pornography because he was trying to fill some void in his life comes here. I hope that the girl who gets drunk every weekend and sleeps around trying to feel special and loved comes here. I hope that the spouse that's secretly cheating comes here. I hope that that there is not a, a, a race or gender that's not represented. Uh, uh, I want young people and old people. I want uh, I want rich people and poor people. I want every social niche, whether you're preppy, a jock, whether you're emo or goth, whether, you, whether you're tatted or clean. Whether I, I don't care. I want you here. I want you here because I love you. I want you here. If I don't care, are, are you lesbian, gay, transgender, anything on either side or anything in between? I don't care. I want you here because I love you enough to tell you that Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you and He has shown it. He's proven it. You don't have to wonder. I love you enough not just to say those words, but to sacrifice and risk you hating me and disliking me because I'm going to affirm the truth in your life too. You see, I'm open to anybody coming and I am open to affirming truth to anyone who will listen. I want us to be open and affirming, opening, open to loving and open to affirming truth to any who will come, to any who will listen, to, to, to let a person come and just leave them where they are. That is not love. That is selfless disdain for what God has done. That is not love. It's actually more harmful than it is good. We value Jesus' love because it transforms us. It doesn't just meet us where we are. It takes us to where He intends us to be. We value, last point, we value Jesus' love because it has been proven and is now certain. You don't have to wonder anymore. You don't have to ask this question. You don't have to doubt it ever again. Jesus loves you. How do you know that? Because of what he did. He's proven it. The the reality is, and, and John shows this, this life, this loving life, this pouring yourself out for others is going to be difficult. It's going at times to cause people to hate us. It's going to cause stress. It's going to be sacrificial. It's going to be hard at times. It's difficult to set yourself aside for the best interest of another person. It's difficult to come to a person and say, look, I'm struggling, I need your help, and they stand up and help you. That doesn't come easy. 
That person's paying a price to love you, to act in your best interest. It doesn't come easy for you to go to a person and say, look, I see a struggle in your life. And you may be mad at me for pointing it out. But I'm not here to condemn. I'm here to love you and walk with you to help you out of it. That's costly. That's difficult. That's challenging. It's going to be, it's going to be a hard life. <laughs> we don't ever have to wonder in the midst of that, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the problems and the trials that come, in the midst of the nights that we're alone and, 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 and we sense our own struggle ourselves and we know that, that, that we don't measure up, that we're not worthy. You don't have to wonder. How do you know? All you got to do is look at the cross. There's nothing that will undo this truth. You can know love by what He did. He laid His life down. Jesus died. He loves you. You don't have to wonder. But you don't also have to doubt His love because He's proving His love in you. His love is changing you. There should be a difference between the day you were saved and the day you're here. To, I mean, it should be a difference. There should be some desire to struggle against your sin. I'm not saying that you're going to have victory over it. The Scripture never promises that. The Scripture never promises that we're going to get past it in this life, but it does tell us that there should be a struggle for holiness and righteousness, a, a pushing towards living like we... Uh, Paul says it in Ephesians. He says uh, to, to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, a, a striving for that. There's going to be failure. There's going to be mistakes made. But you know that desire to, to, to not just live holy and righteous, but now to love the brothers and sisters in Christ, your brothers and sisters in Christ, that love is proof of God's love. It's evidence that He's loved you and He's made His love yours. It says that people apart from His love, people that don't know His love, they don't have life and they don't have love. If you've got this desire, if you've got this thing going on inside of you, it's reason to celebrate. Because God's love is being proven out, not just by the cross, but by what He's doing today in your life. We don't have to doubt His love. We probably will. We probably will. But when we do, we can look at His love on the cross and we can look at His love in us. And there should be, there should be evidence of it. Not only as we recognize it and it transforms us, but as it, as it moves through us, as we have become a conduit of it, and it extends to other people. If you feel that love, if you've got that desire, it's reason to celebrate. If you don't, it's not reason to be upset. It's not reason to run out of here without hope. It's reason to repent and trust Jesus. Repent. You, like me, are a sinner in need of a Savior. I want to look every one of you in the eye and I want to tell you that. And I want to tell you that I'm telling you that because I love you. If I let you leave today without hearing that, I wouldn't have loved you. I wouldn't be loving you. I love you. You are a sinner in need of a Savior. And Jesus Christ, who created us, our Creator, chose to be our Savior. All you have to do is trust in Him.
And this love for you becomes your own. It will invade and permeate your life and begin the process of transformation. I love you. But even better than that, Jesus loves you. Trust in him. This love from God is beyond valuable. I hope you'll treasure it. I hope that you will value it for what it's worth. And you know you will. Or you know you are. I'm sorry, you know you are. When you're not just when you're not just saying anymore that you love people, but that you're actually showing them that you love them. So like John said, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Let's pray. Well, Father, we are grateful. Grateful that your love for us is certain. Grateful that we don't have to wonder. Grateful that in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of being uh, hated and ridiculed and persecuted, in the midst of, of being sent away for this kind of love, God, I'm thankful that your love resounds in our hearts. Jesus, thank you for loving us this way. Would you, would you help us to do what you've asked us to do, to love others like this? It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.